0: This week on the Iowa Watch Connection. Everything a governor does, a secretary of agriculture does, but they get to do it in 50 states and around the world, so what's not to like about that job? He served Iowa in Des Moines and Washington. In Washington, D.C., and in, frankly around the country, there just is not the appreciation, the level of understanding on the part of folks about what rural America provides. And he has some thoughts on public service. From my perspective, if you stay in a position for a long, long period of time, There is a tendency of the system to think, okay, we now know how he thinks, how he operates,
1: and so there's only one way to do something. A conversation with Tom Vilsack, our topic this week.
2: The Iowa Watch Connection is presented by the Iowa Center for Public Affairs Journalism, online at iowawatch.org. Here is Jeff Stein.
1: Tom Vilsack was born in a Roman Catholic orphanage in Pennsylvania in 1950. He moved with his wife Christy to her hometown of Mount Pleasant, Iowa when he was 25 years of age, setting up a law practice there. But events in that city led to him becoming the city's mayor, from there to the governor's chair, and most recently to the nation's capital and a presidential cabinet. His life story and perspective seemed interesting to us, so we sat down with Tom Vilsack in Des Moines on April 3rd to get insight about his career and more than a quarter century in government service.
0: I have a poster that has been in my law office and in my home for the last 40 years. uh, It's a quote from John Kennedy, uh, and essentially it says that every person can make a difference and every person should try. There are many ways to make a difference, but one of the more profound and impactful ways of making a difference is by serving the public in some form whether it's on an elected uh, position uh, an appointed position uh, a volunteer uh, uh, position uh, there are many opportunities for people to give back uh, to make a difference in the lives of their friends and neighbors in their community whether it's a small community or a city state country or the world so to me that's kind of what it is. It's the opportunity to make a difference and to be able to, at the end of your life, be able to look back and and, and think to yourself that you you have made a difference because you dedicated uh, your life to the service of others.
1: You were engaged in the practice of law when you first became an elected official in Mount Pleasant, which became your Iowa home did you foresee at any point your track of public service expanding beyond the four corners of the law office and helping people did you anticipate elected office and serving in the president's cabinet for example
0: I can remember very distinctly as a young lawyer uh, having as a goal uh, making sure that our law firm was uh, a premier law firm in that small town Uh, I was incredibly fortunate to be engaged early in my career in Mount Pleasant in an effort to raise money for the construction of an athletic complex to help uh, our kids out in Mount Pleasant. And the success of that project, I think, allowed me the opportunity to serve in a variety of capacities. So when tragedy struck in our community and the mayor of our town was, was tragically and, and brutally shot and killed, um, people in the community, uh, particularly some of the mayor's family, asked me to consider running for mayor, Um, and that was an incredible experience uh, running for mayor and then having the opportunity to be mayor uh, for a little over five years. Uh, I learned a lot about public service, uh, learned a lot about my community, uh, and that obviously gave me the chance to to run for the state senate, and that was probably about as far as I thought uh, I would go, Uh, but again, tragedy sort of intersected my life, my, my wife's brother Who was uh, an incredible individual uh, encouraged me to run for governor in 1996 at a function we had gathered as a family in in celebration of our oldest son's graduation, high school graduation, and after a a dinner, a celebratory dinner, uh, my brother-in-law said, "You need to run for governor." (laughs) I thought he was crazy, and I said so. And and tragically and unfortunately, the next day he had a heart condition that. his heart malfunctioned and he, and he passed away. And uh, I just assumed that uh, in honor of him and in honor of his challenge to me that I would give it a shot. Uh, and again, after I served and had the fortune uh, to serve tw- twice two terms as governor, I thought, well, that's, that's been great. Uh, that's the end of public service. And then President Obama gave me an extraordinary experience to serve in his cabinet. Uh, so I've been very, very fortunate.
1: What a difficult situation for a community, obviously, and it came to you to be the one to lead the community after that. What did that experience teach you about people that has been helpful to you in these other aspects of public service?
0: Well, a couple of things. I mean, first and foremost, always have faith and confidence at the end of the day. People are resilient and people are able to overcome whatever challenge life may may confront them with. Uh, there are obviously times when when that is hard. That to have that kind of faith is hard. But uh, that experience uh, indicated to me that the community was willing to come together. It also taught me the important role uh, in public life of being willing to listen uh, and being close to people and giving them the opportunity to to share with you their their hopes, their aspirations, their concerns, uh, their irritations uh... following the mayor's death i I established a thing called mayor's hours and initially i had the mayor's hours where people could come in Uh, it was two hours uh... every week usually on a thursday night from like six to eight i opened up city hall said if you are interested you got a concern you got a problem uh... i'm here come on in you can talk to the mayor (laughs) nobody came because that of course was the place where the mayor was shot killed that was a place that sort of suggested that uh, this was the power center of the, of the small community. And so I, I decided to, to move the location of Mayor's Hours to the library, a place I think that most people are very comfortable going to. Uh, and at that point, there was just a stream of people over the next several years of people who had concerns. And I, what I found from that was that sometimes listening really matters and being able to give people an answer. Sometimes it, it isn't necessarily the answer they wanted to get. But if they knew that you had a good reason for saying yes or no to a certain request, they, they respected that. And uh, I, I think that's an important lesson even in today's politics, uh, the opportunity to be available, to take the tough question, to have a conversation, to be willing to embrace the criticism that may be uh, forthcoming uh, in a way that's constructive and learn from it. Um, and so that, that's a, that was an important lesson I learned.
1: Fascinating that citizens had feelings bottled up about their government or the town or new events, but they just couldn't bring themselves to cross the threshold into City Hall because of the symbol of the dysfunction that led to the shooting and, and, and that you recognized that and then said, let's go to what, in essence, is a safe place.
0: Well, you know, I think it's power is intimidating,
1: mm-hmm. um,
0: and, and there are a lot of different ways that people have power and exercise power. And uh, it can be very intimidating to people who feel that they don't have power or who have forgotten that they alt- have the ultimate power, that is the voters. Um, and so it, it is incumbent, I think, on those who serve the public to create avenues that are, are as comfortable as possible for that for that free flow of information. Be- because you can learn it can help you formulate better ideas. It, it can challenge assumptions that you may have, uh, make you think differently about something because you've heard a story or you've, uh, you've been approached from a different angle on a particular problem. You know, I'm, I'm in the private sector now and, and I'm working for uh, the dairy industry and it's an interesting experience and I think uh, I, I've learned from that experience how important it is in business to have some degree of certainty about things. And if things are constantly changing, if there's constant uncertainty, or if the rules are constantly changing, that it's really difficult for businesses to be able to do what they do best, which is to create a product or provide a service. And that government needs to better understand the need for certainty. Uh, I know certainly in the agricultural world, uh, we found at USDA that there was a lot more acceptance of conservation practices or whatever if we coupled it with a degree of certainty to to suggest that if producers or ranchers or farmers participated in certain activities that for a period of so many years the government wouldn't be coming back and saying okay great that you did that now you have to do something else Mm -hmm. and there was we had a sage grouse initiative which was interesting it was out in the western part of the country and the endangered species act was going to go into place and these birds were going to be placed on the Endangered Species Act list, which would require the ranchers to do a lot more work on their their ranches, and it would really cause a lot of disruption. So we went to the ag community, and we said, look, what if we provided resources for you to take certain conservation steps now? What if we guaranteed that if you took these steps, that for a period of up to 30 years, you wouldn't be hassled if the bird was ever listed? You would be deemed in compliance. So that gave them certainty, gave them a little additional financial incentive to take steps. And they took the steps in significant numbers to the point that the bird didn't have to be listed. taught a very valuable lesson to me in terms of what the right combination is of government, the private sector, getting things done.
1: When we come back, more of my conversation with Tom Vilsack, focusing on why his time as U.S. Secretary of Agriculture was so rewarding. That's next as the Iowa Watch Connection continues. Support for the Iowa Watch Connection comes from the Iowa Insurance Division's Iowa Fraud Fighters Program. This statewide initiative educates Iowans on how to double check before they invest and shield their savings from scammers. Thousands of Iowans have attended fraud fighter forums across the state to learn about new scams circulating in their area and how to stay a step ahead of fraudsters. Learn how to fight fraud and why it is important to report scams at iowafraudfighters.gov.
2: The Iowa Watch Connection radio program is part of a statewide audience engagement project organized by the Iowa Center for Public Affairs Journalism an independent, non-profit, non-partisan news organization. The center is dedicated to producing high-quality investigative and community affairs journalism in Iowa, while also training journalism students to do this work at a high ethical level. The center is found online at iowawatch.org.
1: Welcome back to the Iowa Watch Connection. I'm Jeff Stein. More now of my conversation with former Iowa Governor and U.S. Agriculture Secretary Tom Vilsack. We spoke in Des Moines on April 3rd. I'm interested in the eight years you served as governor. The model, your two predecessors, had been to serve more than two terms. You decided eight years, two terms was enough. What was the thought process that went into that? And then as you looked back over the eight years, what are some things that you hope people remember in the history books going forward?
0: Well, and I, I mean no disrespect to, to my predecessors or, as it turned out, my successor uh, or a successor. Um, everyone has to make these decisions for themselves. But my, my view was that democracy was set up at, at the beginning of our, co- our country with the notion that people would go into public service for a period of time and then would leave public service and go back into the private sector and private life. I always was uh, enamored with people like Thomas Jefferson and, and some of the other founding fathers. Basically, they came in, then they stepped away from it. And when you do that, you create energy, you create the capacity for change, you create the opportunity for people to look at things differently. When you, from my perspective, if you stay in a position for a long, long period of time, there is a tendency of the system to think, okay, we now know how he thinks, how he operates, and so there's only one way to do something. And it really, in my view, uh, can diminish the creativity that takes place within an organization. And if you look at the major corporations in the country today, they don't keep their CEOs for forever and ever. It's a five to seven year life, and then it's time for someone else to come in and try something different. So that was the attitude. and and, and, you know, I, th- I think while I was there, uh, we, we accomplished, uh, you know, I think uh, we did a lot. I mean, we had Vision Iowa, uh, which was a pro- program that, that I take particular pride in because it was something that I thought about when I was a state senator and then uh, basically at Worth the legislature after I was governor, created this program, which was enormously successful, that allowed us to expand significantly in our major cities and in our smallest towns, recreational cultural opportunities that I think generated a lot of jobs, generated a lot of enthusiasm in communities, and generated a sense of pride uh, within the community. I think that was a very successful program. I am very, I was very happy and very proud of the work that we did to extend health care uh, in the state. At the time I left, uh, Iowa was one of the states that had the, the, the most people covered uh, from a health care perspective, and we were certainly really focused on children with our Children's Health Insurance Program efforts. We also figured out a way to reduce uh, drug costs for seniors, uh, and we created the Senior Living Trust that made that created opportunities for people to live in their homes and with with a little of assist a little assistance instead of having to go into a nursing home before uh, before they were uh, wanting to or, or before they had to. Uh, so there was a lot of work done in healthcare. We we led the nation uh, while I was governor in buffer strips. So there was a, a, a significant commitment to conservation land conservation. I was excited about the fact that we focused on. Um, advanced manufacturing and the bioeconomy and financial services to the point where, for the first time in 70 years, we reversed the out migration of people. In other words, more people were coming in and staying in Iowa than were leaving, uh, which was, I, I think, a, a big uh, challenge that we even today continue to have. Um, and we saw the emergence of the wind energy uh, industry in the state, uh, which ultimately has grown significantly. So there, there's a lot to be proud of restored the rights uh, writing rights for excellence uh, which we're still dealing with today unfortunately uh, it's long overdue that we join the vast majority of other states uh, in basically saying to those who have paid their debt to society it's time that you re-enter society and have the full rights of that so a, a lot of work that was done um, and a, lo- a lot of, uh, of things I was really proud of we reduced class sizes we we, uh, we made more investments in, in our K-12 system because we recognized that that was the future of the state. Uh, so I was really proud of the work we did. I had a great team, great Lieutenant Governor Sally Peterson, great First Lady. Uh, Christy did tremendous work on literacy in libraries uh, and making them feel part of uh, the important part of the community that they represent. So we, we had fun uh, and it was a great job and I honestly thought it was gonna be the best job that I would ever have until I became Secretary of Agriculture and it turned out that everything a governor does, a Secretary of Agriculture does, but they get to do it in 50 states and around the world. So what's not to like about that job? Um, and uh, just had incredibly dedicated people working uh, for USDA in so many different areas, nutrition, farm programs, the Forest Service, food safety, research, uh, land-grant university partnerships, really it, just a tremendous, tremendous job.
1: And the history book shows that of all those who became members of President Obama's cabinet, only one stayed for the whole eight years, and that was you. It's almost now just become the thing to do. You serve the one term and and out you go, And, and you stayed on and carried out the mission. That's to me, anyway, a sense of loyalty to the office, to the president, to the people you were serving. Talk a bit about carrying that mission for as long a period as you did
0: i have to go back to my law practice to respond to that question mm-hmm. um, i represented farmers during the farm crisis in the 1980s mm-hmm. and I, I i essentially better understood uh, you know if i ask you what you do for a living you can say well i, I you know I work at a radio station and i'm involved in that that tells me what you do it doesn't necessarily tell me who you are if you ask me So what did you do in Mount Pleasant? Well, I was a lawyer. Tells you what I did, doesn't tell you who who I am. You ask a farmer that question, and they say I'm a farmer. That tells you not only what they do, but as importantly, it tells you who they are. And I realized uh, growing up in a city, I didn't have a full appreciation for the incredible gifts that rural America and rural people provide to the country. I realized that these folks needed uh, a voice, and they needed somebody who would work as hard as they work. Uh, and so when I had the opportunity to represent farmers and work for farmers and work for rural places, uh, it was an opportunity I didn't want to give up, uh, because I realized that I, I think I could make a difference, and I could add a voice in Washington, D.C., and in, frankly, around the country. There just is not the appreciation, the level of understanding on the part of folks about what rural America provides. So, so when I give speeches now, I say, you know, think about where your food comes from. And everyone goes, oh, well, I know that. Food comes from, from the rural places. Yeah, but but think about the fact that you have food coming from the best people in the world producing that food. They're the the best, right? And they're not only the best in the world today, they're the best ever. And so I use the comparison. Best baseball player today, what's the reward? 10-year contract, $300 million. Best farmer, reward? Uh, your farm's flooded in southwest Iowa, tough luck, sorry about that. Or 2012, just not going to rain for the next six months. All that corn you planted, not going to yield much. So even the best at this work have incredible risk, but yet they continue to do it. They make us a food secure nation, which means we don't have to depend on anyone else for food. They produce it in such an efficient way that we together with our our food industry, we we are relatively inexpensive food, so we have more of our paychecks than anybody else in the world. And all of us who are currently not farmers are able and free to be not farmers because we've delegated the responsibility of feeding our families. And then, on top of all that, darn if they don't send more of their sons and daughters and their grandkids in the military to defend us. So... What's not to like about these folks? And what's not to, to, to want to be able to help them? So if you have eight years of an opportunity with roughly 100,000 people working with you on 72% of the landmass of the United States, which is what rural America represents, and you have an opportunity to make a difference to 15% of America's population, you have the opportunity to help feed not just Americans but the rest of the world through exports, you have an opportunity to help support the millions of jobs that are connected to the food and agriculture industry, Why would you want to give that up? Those of us who have a voice, those of us who have power, those of us who had power are able to make sure that at the end of the day when they look back, they can say, you know, the world's a better place or the world that I lived in, the world that I had impact on is a better place, a fairer place, a more just place, uh, a place of better opportunities, a place of of hopefulness and optimism. And, you know, at the end of the day, I I don't think you necessarily want to go to your grave thinking, well, by golly, uh, you know, I showed that I showed those folks. I showed that I was right and they were wrong. What? what? That's not going to, that does not move the dial. So I keep thinking of those grandkids, and I think uh, a lot of grandparents keep thinking of their grandkids, and I think we owe them our best effort at making the world a better place.
1: Tom Vilsack, the 40th governor of the state of Iowa and U.S. Secretary of Agriculture in the Obama administration. We spoke in Des Moines on April 3rd. And that brings us to the close of this week's program. We're back again next week at this same time. In the meantime, you can connect with us online, iowawatch.org. Click on the Iowa Watch Connection tab at the top of the page to listen to all or part of this program again For a list of stations that carry the program and more, iowawatch.org. I'm Jeff Stein. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you'll make the Iowa Watch Connection again next week.